Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Ricky Gervais. You probably know me from the UK version of The Office or The Office, as we call it in the UK. Hello, and welcome back to The Office Deep Dive. I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you will get to listen to my conversation with the one and only one of my comedy heroes, Ricky Gervais. Ricky was the co-creator of the British version of The Office, along with Stephen Merchant, who we spoke to last week. And Ricky, in addition to creating the show, also played David Brent, the British counterpart and the inspiration for Michael Scott, who was somehow possibly even more cringy than Michael was. I didn't think it was possible either, but only Ricky himself could pull that off. Now, obviously, Ricky is a very, very busy man. And when I interviewed him, he was doing a ton of press for another show he created called Afterlife, which I am obsessed with that show. I absolutely love it. Everyone, you should go and watch it if you haven't. 
Um, but Ricky was doing so many TV appearances at the time that when I spoke to him, he thought that this was another video interview, which it, it was not. So here I am, I'm lounging in, I'm in my sweatpants and Ricky is looking sharp. He's looking camera ready. He's looking Gervais sexy is how I like to call it. Um, so just keep that image in your head as you listen. Um, anyway, I'm totally psyched that I got a chance to talk to him and I so appreciate him making the time for us. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the incomparable Ricky Gervais. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. Um, do you know what we're doing here? Isn't it a podcast about the history of the, uh, the office? Yeah. So like the, the 10 second version is basically the office, uh, American version since 2017, uh, it's the number one streaming show in the world. It has over 135 billion minutes that have been stre- streamed in essentially two years. And so what we're doing is going back and trying to figure out why this has happened. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's a testament to all the hard work, hard work that went into it and the writing and the acting, the fact that it's about everyday people and about everything. Exactly. All right. I'm just going to start at the beginning and I'll ask you questions. So. What were the, what were the influences that had you and, you know, Steven talked to me a little bit about, you know, how you guys got to know each other and you hired him as, as your assistant at a radio station, but what were some of the influences that you guys had? Well, it goes back before that. It goes back before that. I had David Brent as a character, um, you know, a few years before that. In fact, I worked in an office for like 10 years and obviously that's the biggest influence real life being part of it of a working office and you know you start noticing that the fact that you, you're thrown together with random people and you have to get along so you know that was one thing um coupled with that throughout the 90s i'd watched a lot of those docu soaps that were happening here where ordinary people got their 15 minutes of fame um there was one called airline and right. airport and you know all, all the you know the hotels and sort of they'd make celebrities out of these normal people because they were just ordinary people, but they were funny and at work. And, and of course, now fame's a different beast. Now they get an agent and they try and get their own game show and make the most of it. And, you know, um, but then it was sort of, it was, it, they were quite quaint. But I, I did notice that people had started to be obsessed with fame in the 90s. And, of course, that's just got worse and worse right. and worse until it sort of eats itself. So those were the those were the sort of big themes. An ordinary person getting his one shot of fame, wanting to be famous. You know, if you take away that it was a fake documentary, it doesn't make much sense because you'd say, well, why is David Brent acting like that? Oh, he wants to be famous. He wants to be discovered. He wants to be loved. He needs a hug. You know, so right. so it was a bit. It was a we weren't spoofing the genre, but 
the fact that it was meant to be a documentary, you know, is 50% of the show before you start writing the sitcom. And, um, so how, how much of the comedy comes from it being a, a documentary? Well, you've got to believe this is a real person who wants to be famous. So you've got to really believe that um, you're eavesdropping almost. You're, you're looking on someone's life because if you start thinking about, you know, it's, it's written, anything can happen. So you have to try and make the ordinary extraordinary. And once you realize that David Brent just wants to be discovered and become famous and needs a hug, it, it all seems to make sense, really. And from a personal point of view, I wanted it to, to be a, more about body language, not just acting right. and saying the lines. I wanted it to be, you know, people notice things. Like, I, I hated it in um, drama or comedy where someone would hang up the phone and then talk to themselves, you know, like go, hmm, he doesn't usually call on a Tuesday. Right. So you have to find a way of showing someone was worried or lying. And, you know, you do that by the guy sort of not looking at you and then flicking his eyes at the camera or, you know, you, you had to somehow act like you would if you were being filmed and being caught out. Right. And so there was, there was lots of reminders that this was a fake documentary because otherwise it just wasn't that special or interesting. It, it's, there'd be no reason to be making, a, you know, a sitcom where these people were acting like that unless it was because one of them sort of wanting to be discovered and famous. So it really was about, you know, TV eating itself. It was about people, the beginning of this new narcissism, this beginning of people doing anything, you know, living their life like an open wound, just doing anything. And, and that was the beginning of bad behavior being rewarded. You know, as soon as people thought, well, I made, a, I made an absolute prat of myself on television, but they've invited me on a new program to talk about it. You know, it's right. sort of, oh, okay. And then people start, you know, with, with people that would break the law and then write a book. You know, so that was the, the 90s. I, I, I saw that a lot. But apart from that, it was, it was still about people. It was still about people being randomly thrown together and getting along, you know, and, and, and conflict. But uh, the, the fact that it was a fake documentary and, and one person in particular wanted to come out of this famous because he was looking for something. He was searching for something. You know, that was a very, a very big part of it. Yeah. It's interesting. You, you talk about behavior, right? And that so much of the comedy comes from that. Greg Daniels shared with me that he would send his writers down to the set to just observe the actors because you can't write people's behavior. You can't write their body posture. You can't write that stuff. And so to really observe for the writers on the American office to actually observe the actors and the characters in their setting, because so much of the humor came from that. Yeah. And uh, that's because uh, obviously in real life, so much communication is nonverbal, you, you know, just someone being, as I said, someone lying, they don't look at you. They touch their face. They, when they're nervous, they touch their own head, you know, Brent, kept fiddling with his tie. He wasn't quite comfortable being in charge. The way he, uh, he convulsed and giggled to show that he wanted to be one of the gang. And, you know, you're, you're right that if we hadn't shot a little pilot showing the character, it was like a couple of years before we did the actual thing, 
I went back to the office I used to work in and I had like friends who still work there that I reused as extras. So it looked very hyper real. Right. But they also had to see what I meant. If I, if I have said, oh, this is a character, he's quite boring, really, and quite desperate to be loved. He doesn't say anything funny. He, he screws up jokes, in fact. And when he makes a joke, no one laughs. <laughs> and then he touches his tie and looks at the camera. They think, what is this? <laughs> this you know, this doesn't jump off the page. Right. Um, it, it was a performance piece, initially. It was, it was about behavior. and. Uh, about a man who was doing stuff to be loved and famous. And deep down, he wanted to be popular. And he thought being famous would, that would be a shortcut to it. And, you know, he, he threw everything. He, you know, he wanted to be a philosopher and a teacher. He wanted to be cool. He wanted to be sexy. He wanted to be funny. He wanted to be all those things that he wasn't quite. And that is comedy at its most basic, particularly in sitcom. A sitcom is about an average guy or gal, an, an average person who's trying to do something they're not equipped to do. And that's what we're laughing at, the blind spot. So I just made David Brent so about the blind spot. Right. But it was so, it was so obvious and cringy what we were trying to say with this man. He was delusional. And that in itself was about people who wanted to be famous because in the 90s, there were people, as I said, there were these people in, you know, quaint docu-soaps just getting on with their life and being discovered and having their 15 minutes and that was it. But then all these talent shows started. And how many times have you seen people on a talent show crying, going, please, I just want this. Vote for me. Yeah. I just want this. <laughs> we want to go, well, what's that got to do with me? Right. Why are you, what, what's that got to do with us? What, what do we care whether you want to be famous just because you want it? Well, what are you going to do for it? What, what, have you, what effort have you put in? You know? yeah, right. And then <laughs> it wasn't even talent shows. Then it was just people um, being famous for being famous yes. and doing anything to be famous. You know? Or being a so, housewife, uh, it, it, yeah. Sorry? I said being a housewife, right? Like suddenly being a housewife, Beverly Hills or whatever. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. But but just just people, you know, and then it got to be that the producers are in on it. People would say, let me go in Big Brother and I promise I'll cause trouble, start a fight, take my clothes off. And the producers said, okay, you're in. It was these, it was honestly, it was these contrived things People, you know, you watch shows like The Apprentice and these people, they say anything to get on with the blessing of the producer that wants to see conflict. You know, I'll go in there, I'll put the cat among the pigeons. I'm a man who will steamroll at anyone who gets in my way. I say what I think. I ruffle feathers. And the producers are going, well, great, let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's. And, and suddenly there was, there was this culture of misbehavior that was being re rewarded. But I think that, it was just the start of it when I came with David Brent. It was just, you know, and as I say, he was mainly, before television, before docu-soaps, he was mainly just a Frankenstein of those guys you meet growing up. You right. know, your elders who should know better, your teachers who sometimes embarrass themselves, your first boss who was an idiot. And it's, it's someone behaving when they should know better. And that's why it was important that he was the boss, really. Because if he wasn't the boss, he could be an idiot. 
And sometimes sitcoms made the you know the, the mistake of they they got that right, and then they went on holiday, and on holiday it doesn't matter so much because people can behave badly on holiday. So <laughs> you need that restriction, you need that authority that he's undermining. You know, it has to be someone who shouldn't be behaving like this because they should be a role model and they should know better. So all those things were put in the mix. And the big theme of it as well was uh, men as boys and women as grown-ups because there was also a, a PC culture that I saw come in where people were taught what to say and do, but they didn't really mean it. So guys like him, they knew that they couldn't be sexist upstairs because they, you know, they get in trouble with HR, and they talked a good talk, and they talked about sexism, misogyny, and racism. But deep down, they hadn't changed, and they could get away with that in the warehouse. So Brent was caught between two worlds because he wanted to be loved by everyone. He wanted to be a lad downstairs with the warehouse, but then he had to behave properly in front of his boss. <laughs> right. So. It was a man who was caught. He was caught between two worlds. He wanted to say terrible things, but the camera was rolling. He wanted to be one of the guys, but his boss was watching. So this was a man who wasn't comfortable with himself because he wasn't being honest with himself. He wasn't being honest because he didn't. He just wanted to hand out a business card that said, great bloke, just laugh at my jokes. But <laughs> life isn't that easy. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zen.com. That's zyn.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Do you remember uh, the first time you met Ben Silverman? Yes, I do. I was walking down the street <laughs> in London. I think I was going to see my agent, and the phone rang, um, and he said, "Hi, it's Ben Silverman. You don't know me. I want to. I want to remake The Office for America." And I went, "Okay, all right." He said, "Can we meet up?" He said, "I'm in town." I went, "Right." He said, where are you? I'll come to you. I'll jump the cab. I went, okay. And I looked up and I said, right. I'm right outside Starbucks in Wardour Street. And he went, wait there. I'll be there in 15 minutes. And he jumped in a cab. He got, I'd never met anyone like him. He came and found me because obviously he knew what I'd look like because he'd watched The Office. And um, he talked to me and I said, well, listen, let me introduce you to my agent to get the ball rolling. And I took him in. Um, to see Duncan Hayes, who was my uh, UK, still is my UK agent, and that, and that was the beginning of it. And then I can't remember all the details or all the phone calls, but I think the next big step was we sort of auditioned showrunners, and we saw some amazing ones from my favourite programmes of all time. We uh, we chose Greg, and I think we chose Greg, not just because of his body of work, which was as good as anyone's, and he was a nice chap, but I think I think it was because he was the only one that brought up that he thought it was a love story. That was very important to me, the, the love story. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to... I never thought of it was, you know, just a sitcom. You know, you, traditionally, sitcoms were, as I say, an ordinary guy getting into capers and ending up back at square one. And there wasn't, there wasn't really romance, but, you know, we stole that from America because, uh, you know, and movies, because, you know, there was always a love interest in movies and a lot of American shows had more romance and love interest than, than ours. It was usually about a grumpy middle-aged man. So we, we liked that. And then I can't remember what order this, this was in, but, I think it was the Golden Globes where we won for The Office and I won Best Comedy Actor. Yes. I think that was the same week that we went to Ben Silverman's office. And I don't know if it was before and after, but then Ben and 
Greg came to London. I, th- I think that was nearer the time when we were very getting very close to actually starting production. And uh, we worked out the translation. What was Slough in America? You know, what was the equivalent of this? And what was the equivalent of that? And do we have this? And what we almost did like a, a blueprint to, you know, just Americanizing stuff. Right. Uh, and then we started then we started auditions and and that was it. I do remember at one point, I think before auditions or when we were thinking of looking for, you know, the David Brent. And I think Ben Silverman called me and said, why don't you play him? And I said, well, what would be the point of that? I did my you bit. Did it. Now I want to rest. Now I want some. I want some other schmuck to do 200 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and, but mainly, my reason, apart from the fact that I was lazy and I was terrified of being working hard for seven years, I said, "No, this should be this should be made by Americans for Americans." And I was flattered that they even let us be as involved as we were. But you know, it really took off when they started making their own show. You know, the first episode was basically a, a remake. Right. But then it just got further and further away. And, you know, by the end, it, yeah, it was, it was his own show. And I remember that people were scared because The Office was such a media darling, uh, you know, to a few Americans. Even at its peak, I remember The Office in America, uh, uh, the, uh, our version. I remember it was the biggest show on uh, BBC America, and it had something like 1.1 million right. viewers. Right, right, right. And uh, Ben Silver was saying, listen, there's a lot of people that haven't seen this that won't be prejudiced. But of course, I remember he, he was worried about the press saying this is a, you know, this we love the original. Um, and uh, he came up with a really good thing. When they were saying, why would you do a remake of this? The, the original was perfect. He said, well, why I wouldn't I wouldn't make a film of a shitty novel. I'd make a film of the best novel I could find. And I thought that was such a clever counter. But of course we want a remake of something that's really good. Why would <laughs> we do a remake of something that was terrible? That was shitty. Um, right. And then soon, you know, people forgot that there was original. Some people don't even know there's an original. To to most Americans that they've no idea that this is a remake and they don't care. And, you know, and I imagine most people who love the American office, they prefer it to the, the British version. So, which is a great position to be in for me. I remember once it was after syndication and someone, someone on Twitter sent me a, a tweet that said, the American version of the office is so much bigger and better than yours. How does that make you feel? And I sent back fucking rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't think you had any problem with the success of the American version of the office. No, I was, you know, um, but I remember also early days, it was an okay star. It was a new sitcom i mean it was on network tv so it was already audacious it was pretty out there yeah and the ratings uh, were not good it was a bit, it was a, yeah it was a bit spiky and different and and i think it struggled and uh i think we got they deferred people's wages to so it could keep going and 
uh, and you know people really pulled together to try and get this going and then i think the, there was two big breaks as i remember one was they discovered that it was watched by the right demographic for advertising yes young like, people. even though it was only getting a few million i think it was the highest percentage of people earning over a hundred thousand dollars i think it was second to will and grace and so advertisers loved it and so the channel loved it so there was all that behind the scenes things going on and then steve corral became a huge film star so it took off it just and then it grew and grew and grew and got bigger and bigger and it's still getting bigger and bigger it's remarkable remarkable yeah one of my favorite Emmy moments of all time was the bit you did with Steve Carell. What do you think about the fact that he never won an Emmy? Didn't he? Never. Um, how many did he get nominated for? He must have got nominated every year. Uh, he probably got six or seven, but he never won. Wow. Wow. Oh, in your face, Steve Carell. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. So was I up against him then when I won? I won an Emmy for my performance in Extras, and um, I wasn't there. Yes, and so, and that's the one where um, John Stewart gave it to Steve. Yes, Carell. yes. Also, one of them's my fault that he didn't win. Yeah. Now I feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That bit. I just I bumped into him on the red carpet and said, "I've got a, an idea. If you could." Uh, um, I'm going to come and get my Emmy back and you've stolen it. And he, he just went, do whatever you want. And he just played it so, so deadpan and so great. And it was just lovely when he bent down and gave it back to me. <laughs> um, he's great. I think, I, 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 you know, I have said this uh, many times in interview, never to his face. I always wind him up in public. Obviously, that's my job. Right. But um, he is such a brilliant hardworking, conscientious. He's just a lovely man who is, in, is great. He's so versatile. And then we got to see him, that he was a, a dramatic actor after all this was over. Um, I mean, we really, we really lucked out when we got Steve Carell to be in our sitcom, didn't we? We sure did. Yeah. He's one of the best. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, he can be, you know, he can be snide and rude and unaware. And somehow you still have that feeling where you, you just want to love him. I know. I know. I, it is. Yeah. He's, um, he's remarkable, but I still beat him at the Emmys. Let's not forget that. <laughs> 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 oh dear Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. That's zyn.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Um, were you pleased with how Greg Daniels adapted the show? I thought it was great. I just thought it was great. How dense it was, how fast everything was, how many plot lines and how written it was. I mean, I, I know there was, you know, a lot more writers, but it, I, I just thought he held it together and he kept the heart and he kept the love story. It was, it was as funny as anything needed to be. It looked great and it, it just got better and better. And um, I was so proud of, of him and everyone and, you know, and, and Steve Carell. And then it was a joy for me to pop up in a couple, just for fun, like I would have, like I would have in my favourite show. I did a Simpsons, I did a Family Guy, I did Sesame Street, and this was like this show that I, you, you know, you forget that it came from an idea you had ten years before, but it was this monster, and I felt flattered that they invited me to do a cameo in it. So. That's how good it was that I 
felt flattered that I was invited to be in this show. That's that, crazy. That's how good I thought it was. Oh, that's that's crazy. I just watched last night. I had somebody send me those two clips and uh, you and Steve at the elevator banks doing your Chinese impression. And, you know, I mean, that was completely ad libbed, but, but we just bumped into and I, I just thought because it was the time when people were thinking of, you know, I think it was already out there that Steve was leaving, wasn't it? Yes. And so I dropped in this little false thing for the fans where I said, any jobs going? And I just thought that was a, a funny little tease. <laughs> <laughs> you the I mean your show started with the idea of redundancy, right? And then in the American version, it really went on unlike anything that was happening in American television, like dealing with serious issues like race, homosexuality, healthcare, you know, et cetera. And and as we talked about before, like that that un-PC or the the woke culture as they call it now. Well, exactly. But, you know, the thing is that, again, it's important that people know that the difference between the subject of a joke and the actual target. And the target was actually people pretending to be all those good things, but not quite getting it right. We were taking a stab at this, this false notion of just pretending to, to have like equality and fairness, but not really. And, you know, we did it to a certain extent in our version and certainly david brent you know was was fascinated with with difference and he was he had that terrible white middle class angst about anyone thinking he was sexist or racist and so he overcompensated he was basically a good person but he overcompensated he panicked around difference you know around disability or <laughs> color or anything like that yes. so that was funny cuz and we're la- we're laughing we're laughing at that white angst that's what we're laughing at um and of course people getting it wrong you know he's funny because he's getting it wrong he's trying to do the right thing but he's not equipped he's not equipped to do it (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah one thing someone told me recently and i'm sure you're aware of this you know american television was basically every show was set up with a, a love story, right? Here are the lovers. It's, you know, a will they, won't they, or, or a married couple. And then you have kind of the wacky boss or the wacky uncle who comes in for, you know, 90 seconds of the show, makes people laugh, and then he goes away again. But what your show did was you inverted it, right? You made the wacky boss the central figure of the show, which meant you had to care about him because before who cares what the wacky boss or the wacky uncle is thinking, but you put him central and you put the love story in the corner, but you make that just as important, but it makes people want to lean in and, and watch. That's exactly right. I said once that people tune in for David Brent, but they stay for Tim and Dawn because there's a, a will they won't that you've got to stick around. You've got to see the result with that. And it's something you want. And that's an emotional connection, which is stronger than just gag. And I see it in all forms of comedy. I see it in stand up. You know, you, you can go and see someone who just tells a hundred killer jokes and they're great. But after about 50, you're looking at your watch and there's no reason to stay. And you could pause and you could, you know, but someone shambles out and they tell you a story about the terrible day they've had and you're riveted. You can't leave. You want to know what happened. 
And I think that's what the love story did, because we wanted to see if they got together. And I tried it a certain amount with, um, you know, Brent's development, because I think people eventually wanted him to be happy, because I like the fact that people thought he was just awful with no redeeming features. But then you see that he's wounded too, and he's looking for love, and he's not a bad person. He's just been dealt a, a, a bad hand. And, you know, he made the mistake. He thought things like being on telly would make him feel better. And, you know, he thought that popularity was as good as respect. He's just been lied to, really, by television. And I think people saw that in the end, and they saw that actually he wasn't, he wasn't that bad a bloke. He was all right. And everyone's wounded. Everyone's looking for love. Everyone needs a hug. And uh, I'm glad that eventually people thought of him fondly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. This is just occurring to me now, so maybe this is a stupid idea. But, you know, you talk about him just wanting fame and being, you know, in the family of, say, a big a big brother contestant. But in a way, David Brent actually had more reality, right? Than, than a real person on one of those shows because you eventually got to see the inside of David Brent. And those guys on Big Brother, yeah. you don't ever see yeah. the inside. No, you don't. And also, what happened with something like Big Brother is it started off like a, quite a good social experiment when no one really knew how they were going to come across, not even the producers. And there was real drama. Then they started contriving it. Then they started putting in, as I said, people who were willing. They were already at their lowest ebb. They had nothing to lose. They had no dignity to lose. So it wasn't even particularly interesting. You know, when a load of feral people are happy to run around and fight each other and take their clothes off, you think, well, what are we watching this for? Where's the conflict? They're happy with that. There's no, do you see what I'm saying? There's no, there's no human interest story because, it's like they don't care about themselves. They know what's happening. They've gone in there to get 15 minutes of fame, cash in on it, sell their story to the paper and buy a house. And good luck to them. But I don't know why that... It was no longer entertaining because it wasn't real. It's strangely reality, as you said, reality TV became less real than, than a well-scripted drama about reality. And so, you know, that's what happened, I think, over that time. What are you most proud of, of the legacy of The Office? Oh, that's so difficult. That's so difficult to say. I'd say it was the first time I tried my hardest at anything. I'm very proud of that. And I got addicted to that. I was sort of this guy that would cruise around and I did well at school because I was smart. And it was almost like I, I wore it like a badge of honor. I didn't need to try hard. And I realized that that's not a good attitude. And then, you know, and then I tried to become a, a pop star and failed miserably. And my mistake was wanting to be a pop star and I should have wanted to be a songwriter. Right. And so when I came to this later in life, I thought I want to be a writer director. I want to be famous for something. If, if, fame, if I'm going to be an actor and be famous, I'd better be famous for something. I'd better do something I'm proud of. And uh, right in the office, I knew at the time and I knew in retrospect that that was the first time I'd really tried my hardest at anything. And um, it was a great feeling. And I don't think you can have success without hard work. You know, if you didn't work hard, it loses a bit of its success. 
So that's what I'm proudest of, trying my hardest. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, I mean, you know, look, everybody who was involved in the American version owes everything to you, you know, working your hardest on something. Um, I'll just ask you one more thing that, that at the end of the American office, it ends to talking head by the character of Pam. And she is talking about, you know, she thought it was weird that people who work in a paper company would be the subject of a documentary. Like, why would anyone want to watch us? But she said, you know, in retrospect, she feels like that they were a really good subject for documentary because there's, there's beauty in ordinary things. And isn't that kind of, yeah. the, isn't that kind of the point? And that was what Greg's perspective was. That's exactly right. Um, I've always been fascinated with trying to make the ordinary extraordinary, just trying to take a tiny little story that you wouldn't think anyone's interested in and, and making people interested in it. And I remember when I was at school, I used to write and my teacher would say, yeah, it's a bit melodramatic. And I realized that I was taking it from telly and films and, and he kept going, oh, a bit melodramatic, right? And this really annoyed me. So I decided to try and do the most boring story I could, right? Just to annoy my teacher. I was like 13. And so what I did was my mum used to look after this old lady who lived near us. And when I was bored, I'd go around. I'd watch my mum sort of make her tea and clean up and that. And it was boring for a kid. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll write about that, right? right. Just to teach this teacher a lesson. And I remember just writing exactly what was happening. And I handed it in and I got it back. And the teacher had given me an A and said, much better. And I almost didn't get it. I didn't. I did. Because <laughs> um, I think he knew what I was doing. But he also knew what I was saying was the truth and that I'd, I'd done it from real life as opposed to a cop show on telly. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And then I suddenly realized that ordinary life is the most fascinating thing we have. Everyone's life is fascinating to them. And, and if you look into it, it can be fascinating to everyone because it's, it's unique and real and it happened and it was a life. And I think that's, beautiful and then you know i've taken that on my new series afterlife it's about the mundane things in life you know saving you they're distractions and it's true it's just true everyone thinks that you know what their their life's a bit boring and mundane but it's not it's it's fascinating well i was not going to be overly nice to you until the very end but your ability through all of your shows obviously and you as a person your ability to find that humanity in people that you do not expect to be likable is a great gift that, you know, you've given everyone, blah, blah. I don't want to sound too nice, but you know what I'm saying? I, I love it. Thank you very much. That's, that is, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really Cheers. appreciate it. Yes. And good luck uh, with Afterlife. I cannot wait to watch it. And, Thank you, man. And enjoy a drink on me tonight. I'm going to have one now. I'm sure some of the residuals that, that we made, just just something that we paid champagne. for. Okay, it's there you nothing go. Nothing but the, the, the greatest champagne there. all day, every day, on tap. 
Thank you. All right. Thanks, cheers, man. All right. Cheers. See you soon. All right. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. That is a wrap on Ricky Gervais. Ricky, thank you so much for joining me. I hope it was worth your time. If for no other reason than to find out that Steve never won an Emmy, I'm very pleased that I could provide that level of joy for you. To the rest of you, as always, thank you so much for joining me. And don't forget to subscribe to The Office Deep Dive on your podcast app, Du Jour, so that you and I can keep, well, diving deeper. I hope you have a great day and I will see you again next week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Cree Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.